name's Brian. I'm one of the pastors of the church. If you are going to kids' church, which there's a small army going right now, if you're going to kids' church, now is the time to be dismissed. You're going to hang out with Mr. Sean and Miss Melissa, it looks like. Seriously, there's like 50 kids going. That's cool. All right, as we get started this morning, as we prepare for the preached word, um, let us spend some few moments in prayer together. Lord Jesus, you tell us in your scriptures that you will build your church. Lord, we thank you for this promise. It's not on us to build your church. You will build your church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Lord, we thank you for this promise. We're thankful to be able to see the evidence of that promise all around us as people gather to worship your name all throughout the world. And yet, we want to see more. We want to see more people gathered together in churches to worship you. Lord, we acknowledge this morning that this church gathering here in this room is not the only one happening even in our own city today. Lord, we thank you for that. We praise you for that. We pray for these churches this morning. We pray for the churches that we're closely connected to in our New River Baptist Association. I think specifically this morning about Brookwood Baptist Church and uh, Ryan Hearn as he prepares to preach this morning as I'm about to preach. Lord, I pray that you would give him boldness and conviction. Lord, I pray that you would prepare the congregation at Brookwood to hear and to be transformed by your word. Lord, I pray for Centerview Baptist Church and Pastor Mike Schwalm as he prepares to preach this morning. Lord, I pray that you would continue to conform and transform that church more and more to your scriptures. Lord, we think of Tar Landing Baptist Church and Robert Williams. We think of First Baptist Church of Richlands and Mike Johnston. Lord, we think of all these churches in our city that we're connected to. Lord, we ask and pray that you would transform them according to your scriptures. Lord, we also pray for our brothers and sisters of other denominations this morning as they gather. Lord, although we disagree about some of the finer points of uh, how churches should gather and or other matters, Lord, for all of those who are preaching a true gospel, even of other denominations, Lord, we pray for them. We pray that they would conform more and more to your image and likeness, that they would sit under the right preaching of your gospel of grace. Lord, we even pray for those who are preaching a false gospel this morning. Lord, we pray that they would see the truths in your scriptures and corporately repent and fall under your sovereign hand. Lord, if they do not repent corporately, Lord, I pray it would be clear to individuals that the teaching is false, it is not in accordance with your scriptures, and they would leave and find other church homes where your gospel is rightly preached. 
So Lord, we pray for that this morning. Lord, we pray for all of these things and so much more. Lord, I ask you to help me in these moments to be faithful to your word. Lord, use me as a faithful instrument to preach boldly and confidently the truths that are held for us in this text. And Lord, I ask that you would transform this church by the renewing of, your mind, of our minds in accordance with your word. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can see uh, on the slide behind me, we have a lengthy title for the sermon this morning. It is this, Lift Your Drooping Hands and Strengthen Your Weak Knees. It's the title for the sermon this morning. I get it from one of the verses in our passage this morning that we would do so. And you, you might be asking, okay, well, what's the... What's the topic of conversation, right? What are we talking about? What am I supposed to lift my drooping hands and strengthen my weak knees for? And some of you may come in here and you're physically tired. And you need a rest. You need a day off of work. Or you need a nap this afternoon. Alright, I just want you to know that's not actually the topic of conversation for today. So uh, I'm not going to encourage you to not take a nap. Jesus took naps. We should be more like Jesus and take a nap this afternoon. I will probably take a nap this afternoon. Okay? So that's not the topic of conversation. Okay? In our over-busy, uh, workaholic culture, many of us need to learn how to rest. All right? So that's not the topic of conversation. However, there's some of you that are lazy and you are prone to being a sluggard, as the writers of Proverbs would tell us. And we may, you may need to... Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees to get to work. Right? And the Bible would certainly encourage us to work and to provide for our families and to provide for our society. Six days you shall work and a seventh you shall rest. All right? So some of you might need to learn how to have a godly work ethic. But that's not what this passage is about. This passage is not even about getting up and coming to church at the crack of 10.30 on a Sunday morning, right? For some of you, that's a struggle, I know, like to get here by 10.30 in the morning, but it's not even about that. It's not even about getting up and having a quiet time in the morning. So I do hope and pray that you have time alone with the Word in reading the Scriptures. That's not the topic of the conversation this morning. The topic at hand is to lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees in your struggle against sin. That is the topic for us this morning. That is the exhortation for each of us this morning from our passage. Lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees in your struggle against sin. Don't give up, don't shrink back from it, Move forward in your struggle against sin. This morning, after a break uh, for the holidays, we are back in the book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bibles, join me in the book of Hebrews. If you do not have a Bible, you did not bring one with you, I encourage you, there should be a hardcover black Bible somewhere uh, nearby, under a seat nearby. I would encourage you to follow along with us. Uh, Hebrews is towards the back of your Bible. There's usually a table of contents in your Bible to tell you where Hebrews is. 
Join me uh, as we begin at the end of Hebrews chapter 10. I know that's not our passage this morning, but I want to catch us back up to where we've been. Hebrews chapter 10. The last verse of Hebrews chapter 10, it's now been several weeks since this was preached. If memory serves me, Pastor Scott preached this one. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 39 says this, But we are, uh, are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Alright, so the author of Hebrews is telling his audience, which is Hebrew Christians, Jewish Christians, and we know from the passage, we know from the rest of the book that these Christians are ready to give up. They're ready to quit on the faith. They're wandering away from the faith to their old habits of Judaism. And they're also wandering away from the faith into other sins. They're wandering away from the faith in so many different ways that we've seen. And he says, no, no, no. We are not of those who shrink back. Because if you're of those who shrink back, you'll be destroyed. But if you're of those who have faith, you will preserve your soul. So that's really a big uh, verse for us as we continue to think about that. The next passage is Hebrews chapter 11. It's the hall of faith. It's the faith passage. And we saw many witnesses that have gone before us in the Old Testament. Abraham and Moses and uh, Abel and uh, all the different saints that we see. And we see that they are of those who had faith. And in so doing, they preserved their souls. Then we get to chapter 12. Chapter 12, he says, Therefore, since we have, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So you see, again, we're, we're talking about pressing forward, running the race with endurance. Do not be of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So that's the theme that we're on in our passage. And so pick it up with me in Hebrews chapter 12 in verse 3. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. Consider him, still talking about Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, 
that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of a joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. May God bless the reading of the Scriptures this morning. Again, our passage is going to exhort us to lift our drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees in your struggle against sin. This passage is going to show us four things to consider as we endure in this struggle against sin. But before we get into that, I want to make sure that you're thinking properly, that you're thinking about your present struggle against sin. Do not listen to this sermon. Do not interact with this text thinking about your spouse's sin or your child's sin or your parent's sin. As we interact with this text, think about your present struggle against sin. Don't even think about a past struggle against sin that you've had or maybe a future struggle that you've had against sin. I want you to think about your present struggle against sin. And what does God have for you this morning in that present struggle? The first of the four things to consider in verses 3 through 4. Verses 3 through 4. Consider Jesus' example of endurance. Consider Jesus' example of endurance. You see, one of the reasons that you might be tempted to shrink back in this struggle against sin... One of the things that would cause you to uh, just give up in the fight against sin is that you've been battling it for far too long. It's too difficult. It's too hard. You're like, man, I want to struggle against sin. I want to defeat this sin, but this one is eating my lunch. This one's too difficult for me. So I I think I'm just going to, I'm just going to let this one hang out for a while. It's too hard. I don't want to continue. The writer of Hebrews would say, don't do that. Look to Jesus. Consider Jesus. Notice verse 3, consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself. In your struggle against sin, verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So I want you to think about that in your struggle against sin. Have you yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood? Most likely you have not. And so we should look to Jesus. Look at Him on the cross as He is uh, enduring such hostility against Himself from sinful men. Look to Jesus. Look at the holes in His hands and in His feet where they drove nails into His hands and into His feet. 
Look at the hole in his side where they shoved a spear into his side just to make sure he was dead. Look at the the crown of thorns that was on his head and they beat it into his skull so that blood was dripping down. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. And he did so without sin. So think about what is causing you to just get out of this struggle. Maybe it's like, well, I kind of like the sin. No, 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 it's not worth it. It's not worth it. You may be thinking, well, well, people are going to make fun of me. They're going to call me weird if, I, if I'm serious about putting sin to death. And I, I, I say, you know what? This is not good for me. I need to do something different. And so I need to put this sin to death. And I do that. But, but you're, you're struggling in that because people are mocking you. They're like, do you really need to take it that serious? Right? Are you one of those, one of those uh, weird Christians that's like taking everything so serious and so literal? Right? Look at Jesus. See, all of the things that would cause us to give up in this struggle against sin, if we're properly looking at the cross, if we're properly looking at the suffering of Christ, we will realize that none of the other stuff matters. We must endure to the end. You see, Jesus endured to the end. We may think, we read earlier in Hebrews, that Jesus was tempted like we are, and yet he did not sin. Right? And so we may be tempted to think, well, uh, my struggle is more difficult than Jesus because he hasn't experienced the sin. No, no, no. We have not experienced the full weight of sin. Why? Because we've given up and we've fallen into temptation of sin. All right? An analogy here is if I were to try to deadlift a thousand pounds, if, I were to try to, if we brought a thousand pounds up here and I were to try to deadlift that, we could use a different example. I tweaked my back a little bit yesterday, so we could use like a backpack because like I'm not going to pick much up today. Okay? But if I were going, I would start to exert some energy and I would start to pull and pull and pull and I might start sweating, I might start shaking, and I'm going to be pulling trying to get that thousand pounds off the ground and at some point I'd realize this ain't going to happen and I'd just give up. I'd say I can't do it. And I'd find somebody else that could come and pick that up for me. Or like multiple guys that could come and pick that up for me. See, it's the same thing. When we are struggling against sin, we're struggling, we're struggling, we're feeling that temptation, feeling that temptation, and then we give up and we go to the sin. Jesus never did that. He never stopped. He he bore the full weight of our sins. And so we must run with endurance the race that is before us. When you're struggling with sin, when, when temptation is coming upon you and you're like, ah, oh, I'll just give up this one time. I'll just fall in this one time. I'll do that. No, no, no. Look to Jesus. Look to His endurance. And, and maybe you memorize that little phrase there that we have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you might think about that. You're like, all right, I'm not being asked to shed blood here. I'm just being asked to, to go against the society. I'm being asked to go against my own flesh. I have not yet resisted to the points of shedding blood. Consider Jesus' example of endurance in your struggle against sin. The second consideration this morning in verses 5 through 11 
is consider the Father's discipline as love. Consider the Father's discipline as love. When I say that word discipline, good positive connotations come to your minds? Not usually. Not usually. When I, when I talk about someone telling you, hey, you're not doing that right, you need to do it this way, you think, wow, I love when people do that for me. Right? They're just really helping me out. Right? Think about the last time that somebody told you, hey, you're not doing that right, you need to do it this way. How did you respond? Think about the last time you had to tell someone that they're not doing it the right way and they need to do it a different way. How did they respond? Typically not well. Right? In our minds, we see discipline, correction, as something that is bad for us. We think that doing it our own way would be better for us. The text confronts us. It says, no, no, no. What is happening here is that God the Father is treating you as sons. And he quotes Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3. He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines who? Who does the Lord discipline? The one He loves. He chastises every son whom He receives. So I imagine that many of you, when I told you that the topic of the struggle against sin is what we're going to be talking about today, some very specific sins entered your mind. And you're very aware of the sins that you're struggling with. And you're very aware of some of the re results of the sin that you're struggling with. What I want you to see is that that is the Lord's grace in your life. That He would show you, no, 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 not this way. You need to go this way. This way is leading you to these things, and that is not good for you. You need to go this way. That is going to lead you to more joy and more uh, communion with God the Father and with God the Son and God the Spirit. He's correcting us. He's rebuking us. He's disciplining us. And He's doing so because He is a loving Father. He uses this example of an earthly father-son relationship. Right? He says, earthly fathers who love their sons, they discipline them, and they bring them up in the wisdom and instruction of the Lord. And if they're not disciplining their son, then they are showing that that is an illegitimate father-son relationship. Now, it's tempting here to make a lot of applications about fatherhood. Right? But we need to stay focused on the relationship that is at hand. And that relationship is you with your heavenly father. Do you realize that when the heavenly father through His Holy Spirit, convicts you of sin, that that is for your good, and that is an example and a display of His love for you. It's honestly one of the evidences that you are one of His children. Right? So if you've come into this room, and I said, we're going to talk about your struggle against sin, and you're like, oh no. I've been in this fight all week. I know I'm struggling with sin. I've been struggling with this sin for a long time. I'm ready to quit. The author of Hebrews and God himself would say, don't give up in the struggle. Realize that God your Father is treating you as a son or a daughter of His. He's showing you this is not the way. This is the way. 
Turn from your sin and trust anew in God your Father. See the discipline of the Father as love for you. We must understand also that the opposite is true. If you are sinning, if you are actively walking contrary to the Word of God, and you are just content in your sin, right? You're not feeling the effects. You're quite happy and content in your sin. The most likely scenario for you is that you are not a child of God. It's the most likely scenario for you. If you walk in here, you're like, oh, struggle against sin. Cool. Man, I dealt with that years ago. I got this. Right? If that's you, or if you say, you know what? Not that bad. I know lots of people that are worse than me. I'm not that bad. I have no struggle against sin, so I'm going to take this one off. This is a cool sermon for all those people that are struggling with sin, but I'm going to take this one off. Now, that's actually evidence that God is not your father. Is he fatherly towards all? Yes, in some ways. He causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. But there's a unique father-son relationship with those who are his. There's a unique father-daughter relationship with those who are his. The part of this that you're responsible for is to respond by turning from sin and calling out to your father as your father. That's the response for you. I am uh, I'm an adoptive father. I have five adopted children. Okay? What that means is I was acting fatherly towards all of my children before they actually acknowledged me as their father. Okay? I was doing things for them. I was, I was uh, bringing good things into their lives. I was providing them. I was protecting them. I would even start to discipline them and correct them. I started acting as a father to them before they recognized me as father. And yet at some point in all five of them, they recognized me as father. And so that's my dad. That's my dad. For some, there's a moment in time I can tell you that was the moment they reciprocated and they say, that's my dad. For others, it was more of a process. The same thing is true for us with God. God is acting fatherly towards you. He brings good things into your life. He's protected you thus far despite all the things you've done to try to destroy yourself. He's acting fatherly to you. For many of you, He has even had the Holy Spirit already convicting you of sin. And that is starting to happen in your life. And you're like, I don't know what the proper response is for that. Well, the proper response for that is to turn from your sin and to call out to God as your Father. Don't stop in the struggle against sin. Don't put a band-aid on your struggle against sin and say, well, it's not that big a deal. Or to say something like, well, I'm always going to struggle with this particular sin. No, no, no. Turn from your sin, put to death your sin, and trust in anew in God the Father as your Father. Consider the Father's discipline as love. Third consideration is from verses 12 through 14. Verses 12 through 14. Consider Jesus as your prize. Consider Jesus as your prize. Jesus is so many things to us, is he not? For those of us who are in Christ, 
you may think, well, Jesus is my Lord, and you should, right? Uh, part of salvation is to acknowledge Jesus is my Lord. He's the one I submit to. He's the one I follow. You may think, well, Jesus is my example, and I just preached about that. The point number one was Jesus as our example. So I can look at how Jesus walked and look at how Jesus lived his life, and I can live my life that way. Jesus is our example. We can also put some big words in Jesus is our propitiation. We can see other words and say Jesus is all of these things. He provided my atonement. He's all of these things and more. We cannot limit him. One of the dangers we have is when we limit Jesus to just one of the things that he is. One of the things that I think we neglect too often is to realize that Jesus is our prize. Jesus is who we look forward to being with for the rest of our lives. Notice in verses 12 through 14, again, this is where we get the exhortation, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees there in verse 12, make straight paths for your feet. But why? It tells us, so that what is lame may not be put out of joints, but rather be healed. This struggle against sin, the goal is that we would be healed. That we would be without sin. Not that we would, uh, again, this discipline is not to punish us. This discipline is not to make us uh, feel bad. This dis discipline, the ultimate goal of it is that we would be healed. That's what he tells us. He goes on in verse 14, Strive for peace with everyone, for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So the goal, what's the goal at the end of this? To see the Lord Jesus. To see the Lord Jesus. So the goal of this life is to be healed ultimately from sin. To be healed from sin and to be with Jesus forever. That is the goal of this life. So perhaps you've come into this room and you've been living life with other goals at the forefront of your mind. You've been living life thinking, alright, my goal is to make as much money as possible. That is not the goal of life. My goal is to get as high in my uh, profession as possible, right? So you want to be uh, the next Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps, or you want to be the next Commandant of the Marine Corps, or you want to be uh, this or that, or you want to, you got to be a special operator, or you've got to be teacher of the year, or you've got whatever those things are for you. That is not the goal of life. It's not the goal of life. You may think, well, you're right, it's not those things. It's for me to be as comfortable as possible, right? Avoid anything that is difficult or challenging, right? We, we even say this to one another, hey, I don't want you to be uncomfortable. Is this making you uncomfortable? Are you uncomfortable? Let me make you comfortable, right? Let, that's not the goal of life. It's not the goal of life. The goal of life is not to be as comfortable as possible. It is not for as much entertainment as possible, right? That's not the goal. The goal is not just to be entertained endlessly. If you want, our society has done an amazing job of helping you try to fulfill that goal. Right? We have streaming services where instead of like back in the old days, J.D., you remember, you're old, right? So back in the old days, we used to watch a television show. And then what, you know what we had to do? If we wanted to find out what was going to happen, we had to wait like a week. To, and realize, like, all right, that wasn't that important. It felt really important, but it's not that important. But I will watch to find out what happened, right? And then you watch a week later, and you find out what happened. And then they leave you with another cliffhanger, and you know what you had to do? 
you had to wait a week for it to come on again. And then when there was like a season finale, you had to wait like three months for it to come back on. And then every once in a while, your show didn't get like picked up again. And so you're just like left wondering what, what happened. Well, then you had to tell yourself like, oh yeah, it's all fake. Like it's not real. But now you could just watch a whole show, like seven, eight seasons, all in like a couple sittings. It's not the goal of life. None of those things are the goal of life. The goal of this life is to be healed from our sins and spend eternity with Jesus Christ. Spend eternity with God the Father. Spend eternity with Jesus Christ. Spend eternity with the Holy Spirit and everyone else who are children of God. That's the goal of this life. Consider Jesus as your prize. And I would love to end the sermon right here, right? Jesus is our prize, right? There's no more crying, no more death. We could read from uh, Revelation chapter 22 that tells us there's no, no more sickness, no more pain. Oh yeah, all the bad people, they're not there because they've been cast into the lake of fire. It's just me and Jesus. No more sin that I've been struggling with for years. Just me and the Lord. Oh yeah, and all my, all my people that I'm close to that also love Jesus, they're sins that drive me crazy, right? They're not, they're not struggling with those sins anymore. Praise be to God, right? Praise be to God. It feels like a great place to end the sermon, doesn't it? Well, the writer doesn't leave us there. He does not leave us there. It doesn't even, in the ESV, I like where they put the paragraph settings here. Like they, we're, we're not ready to move on to the next topic yet. Because he gives us a warning to close out this section of the Scriptures. The warning is this. It's our fourth consideration this morning in verses 15 through 17. Consider Esau the fool. Consider Esau the fool. In Genesis chapter 25, we read a story. It's a very short story. It's a like, little paragraph at the end of Genesis chapter 25 that's very important in the storyline of the book of Genesis. But the author of Hebrews brings it up for a very specific purpose. And so if you're not familiar with the story of Esau at the end of Genesis chapter 25... Esau is the son of Isaac, and Isaac is the son of Abraham. And God told Abraham that he was going to make uh, his people, his descendants, as numerous as the stars of the sky, as numerous as the sands of the seashore. Right? So Abraham had one son. Isaac has two sons, twins. Esau is the oldest of the two sons. And so by default... All the promises from God to Abraham are Esau's. Okay, so Abraham promised all these descendants. He's promised descendants as many as the stars of the sky, sand of the seashore. He's promised all these possessions and all this blessing. Not only is he going to be a blessing, not only is God going to bless him, but God says he's going to be a blessing to the nations through him. So all of those promises are Esau's by default as the oldest Son, and the story we get in Genesis chapter 25 is Esau comes in from the field one day and it says that he is exhausted. He's tired. And his younger twin brother Jacob is uh, making some stew. Right? And Esau 
smells the stew, and he sees the stew, and he tells Jacob, give me some of that stew. I'm, I'm exhausted. Give me some of that. And it, Jacob, lots of things going on in Jacob's life. Probably not the right thing for him to do in this moment. He's a grabber. He's a manipulator. All right, God works on him. God works on Jacob. But Jacob, seizing the opportunity, says, I'll give you some stew. I just need your birthright. I just need all your inheritance. And Esau, seeing all of the inheritance, seeing everything that was his in God through his lineage and through his station in life, he sees all of that and he sees a bowl of stew and some bread and he says, I'll take the stew and I'll take the bread. I don't want any of that. I'll take the stew and the bread. And Esau was a fool for doing so. He took a fleeting pleasure of this life and he traded in the eternal inheritance from God the Father. Some of you are in the same decision point right now. You know that the inheritance of God is found in Jesus Christ. You know that the inheritance of God is found by repenting of sin, continuing to struggle against sin and put sin to death. You know that that's where eternal life is found. And you also see the fleeting pleasures of this world. And you're at that point where you're deciding between the two. Am I going to take the fleeting pleasures of sin, the fleeting pleasures of this world, or am I going to continue to press in to Christ as my Savior, to Christ as my example, to Christ as my prize, to God as my Father, which one am I going to do? And you're on that choice this morning. And I want you to consider Esau. When you read the story, go back and read it. At the end of Genesis chapter 25, go back and read it this afternoon. You're going to read that story and you're like, that guy doesn't get it. It's insane. Don't do it. You're, you might be screaming at your Bible. Don't do it, Esau. What are you doing? Don't do it. You're going to be thinking that. But what the author of Hebrews would have us to do, what God would have us to do, is to look at Esau and not do the same thing ourselves. Consider Esau a fool and do not follow in his ways. I trust that you've been wrestling through this text for yourself. I trust that you're wrestling through your current struggle with sin. Not for your spouse, not for your kids, not for your parents, not for your neighbor, not for the person you work with, none of those. Your current struggle with sin. The exhortation this morning is lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees in your struggle against sin. I have three questions for you as we close. Three questions. What is your current struggle against sin? What is it? Don't shout it out right now. That'd be fun if everybody did that all at once. You might find that there's other people struggling just like you are. But what is it? What's your current struggle against sin? What I would encourage you to do, I don't know if you journal or not, I would encourage you to journal. Write it down. Write it out. Lord, right now I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. 
You may have a list. You may have a short list. You may only have one or two things that the Spirit has been bringing to mind during this, uh, during this sermon. But write it down. If you're so bold, I would encourage you to talk to a brother or sister in Christ about what you wrote down. I would encourage you to talk with a brother or sister in Christ and be like, you know, in that sermon I was thinking about this sin. This is the one that's eating my lunch right now. This is the one I need to put to death. And talk to a trusted brother or sister in Christ to help you with that sin. To help you in that fight. You might be amazed at how helpful just talking about it out loud with somebody else can be, especially someone else that's going to point you to biblical truth. Do not... Do not talk about this with somebody that's just going to placate you and tell you that it's all okay. Oh, everybody struggles with that. Don't worry about it. Don't talk to that person. Okay? If you thought it was a trusted brother or sister in Christ and you're showing them, I'm struggling with this thing. I know that in the Scriptures God would not have that for me. I'm struggling with it. And if they say, oh, that's okay. I struggle with that too. You need to find a different person to expose those things to. Okay? I'm not saying cut them off and... Get rid of them. I'm just saying that's not the person for this discussion. Okay. So what is your current struggle against sin? I also think it would be helpful, second question, what is the proverbial bowl of stew in your life? Right? What is the proverbial bowl of stew in your life? Satan loves to bring things into our lives that look really good in the here and now. Right? So for Esau, it was a bowl of stew. For others, it's other things. What is the earthly, temporary thing in this life that Satan is just dangling in front of you and saying, this is going to be better than that? <clears throat> that road, you heard what he talked about, suffering, endurance, right? Maybe you get to the point where you have to shed blood for it. You don't want any of that. Why don't you do this instead? So what is that? Again, write it down. What is the proverbial bowl of stew in your life. It would be helpful to call it what it is, right? Because you've been telling yourself, oh, this is going to lead to joy. This is going to lead to comfort. This is going to lead to satisfaction. You need to realize, as the Spirit is showing you those things, realize, now that's not true. That is the bowl of stew, and I don't want to go after that. I want to go after the things of the Lord. So what is the proverbial bowl of stew in your life? Third question is the most important question of all. <clears throat> Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? As you're thinking about your struggle against sin, is Jesus your example? Is he your example? The one that you look to, like, okay, he bore the full weights of sin without sinning. I need to bear the weight of sin as I move forward. I need to put sin to death. Is Christ your Lord? Is Christ your prize and supreme treasure that you want to be with Jesus forever or not? Who is Jesus? Again, write it down. Pray it out. Talk to somebody about it. If you are, so I understand most of this sermon is towards Christians, right? Most of who the author of Hebrews is writing to our Christians. So I just want to encourage you, if, if as you've been listening to this sermon, you're being convicted of things that are wrong, and even things that are wrong that other people are telling you are okay, but deep down inside you know that it's wrong, and you know that you need help, 
if that's you, there's a very real chance that God is calling you to himself. That God is convicting you of sin so that you would repent of that sin and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. So if you've walked in here and over the past few weeks you've become convicted of sin, you're like, I didn't even know the word for it. I just knew it was wrong. And I kept telling myself, well, nobody's perfect. And I kept finding people that would tell me, hey, it's not that big a deal. But deep down inside, I know it's wrong. And I know that I need help. It's quite possible that God is calling you to himself. And the response for you, the response for you is to repent of your sin and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. To repent, turn from, turn away from your sin and trust anew or trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Call out to God as your Father. If that's you, I would love to talk to you after the service. I usually hang out up here uh, after the service. I would love to talk to you about what God's doing in your life and how that's been happening and help you in any way that I can. Uh, if you came here as a guest of somebody, if a member of this church brought you here and they invited you to come to this church, uh, I, I imagine that they've been praying that you would be saved, that they would be praying that you would repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so you could talk to them about it. You could say, hey, I have a feeling maybe you brought me here to hear this. Uh, here's what's been going on in, in my head. Here's, what, here's what's been happening in my life. So I would encourage you to reach out and talk to someone about it. For all of us, lift your drooping hands. We know the struggle against sin is difficult. Lift your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees in this struggle against sin. I love you guys. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for difficult texts. Our flesh does not want to sit and think about our struggle against sin for this long. We like to move beyond it. We like to have easy. We like to have comfortable. We don't like to confront the sin that is in our lives. Lord, we know that it is good for us. You tell us in your scriptures that when you confront us in our sin and you chastise us in our sin, that it is for our good, that you are treating us as a father to a son, that you are loving to do so. Lord, we thank you for this difficult text. And Lord, we pray that you would work in our lives. That you would work in our lives to lift our drooping hands that you would work in our lives to strengthen our weak knees so that we can continue on in this struggle against sin. That in all of it, we would look to you. We would look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The musicians.